What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. The BMW i4 M50. It's 100% electric and 100% BMW. Experience the power of over 500 horses stampeding at a whisper as BMW M-engineered handling takes you through every twist and turn. The complete suite of intuitive technology keeps you connected. The pure performance keeps your heart racing. The BMW i4 M50. Silence has never said so much. BMW, the ultimate electric driving machine. Welcome back to this week's episode of Her with Amina Brown. And I am all in my like Southern girl feelings today because we're we're talking about Southern hip hop today with assistant professor of English and African diaspora studies at Kennesaw State University, writer, researcher, daughter of the Black American South, author of Chronicling Stankonia, The Rise of the Hip Hop South. Let's welcome Dr. Regina Bradley to the Her Living Room. Mm-hmm. What's going on? Mm-hmm. I take all the applause, all of them. <laughs> okay, I'm giving it to you because... There should be thousands of people here, you know, with us that would have been clapping. They're listening, mm-hmm. you know, they're listening. But since they can't clap for us right now, I'm I'm here using these two hands to help that. <laughs> y'all, let me well, tell you. Well, you know, y'all. they say two or three are gathered. Okay, okay, okay. And, and we're here. And my husband and producer, he here. That's three of us. It's two, three of us. Boom. We're here. That's it. That's it. That's it. Y'all, mm-hmm. I'm so mm-hmm. excited to have... Dr. Regina Bradley here in our her living room because I have been following her on Twitter for a long time. I, I cannot remember who it was 
it was another black woman a couple of years ago that was like, y'all need to go follow, like told a bunch of us to follow you. That's when I started following you a couple of years ago. And then when I saw you talking about what? your book, Chronicling Stankonia, I was like, I am in desperate need of having her on this podcast. So thank you for agreeing to this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I need to start with some basic facts. And just let me tell you, I have grown up mostly in the South. I moved around a lot as a kid. But I basically mm-hmm. lived between Texas and the South. And Texas people listening, Texas is not the South. And we love you, okay? We love you. Oh, those, oh we started off early with violence. <laughs> we love, you're Texas. Like, Texas is its own place. If y'all live there, y'all know what I mean. Because I, I went to high school in Texas. Junior high and high school, actually. And it, it has Southern things, but it's its own place, okay? So, like... I lived in Texas and then just different parts of the South. And Georgia, obviously, I've been here over 20 years now. But my people, people are from North Carolina. So uh, when I moved to Atlanta for college, I had a friend that went to Clark Atlanta that was from where you grew up in Georgia. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. I pronounced that Albany when I first saw mm-hmm. it. I was like, oh, okay, you're from Albany, Georgia. And he was like, that's not where I'm from. Mm -mm. He was Mm -mm. like, I'm from Albany is how. Albany. Okay, Mm -hmm. that's how he told me to say it. Can you you discuss why it's important to make sure that we don't pronounce Albany, New York the same as Albany, Georgia? Just discuss for the people. I mean, I'm just saying, your red clay, your water, your blues ain't like ours. You know what I'm saying? So, Albany. <laughs> it don't even sound right it's now. Very, no, Albany is is very northeastern. You know what I'm saying? It's our sister city. But I mean, I just get excited when I be like, "Hey, hey, folk, where you from?" <laughs> Shit, I'm from Albany. I'm like, I. <laughs> Southside raised over here. Okay. Like, I mean, it's just different. It's just different. I'm, I feel like the ancestors live in your voice when you say Albany. You know, oh, <laughs> come the on. struggle, the triumph, the chili dogs, all of it. I need everything about this. Can you also explain to people, because I feel like for a lot of people that have either never been to Georgia or aren't familiar with the state, for a lot of people, Atlanta is Georgia and they just, Mm-mm. that's that's everything. But Atlanta is not Georgia. There are just many other cities, communities, and other layers of Southern culture going on outside of the city of Atlanta. So can you talk about mm-hmm. what's the difference between growing up in Albany versus versus what it is like to be in Atlanta? First of all, <laughs> Atlanta might as well be its own state within the state. You know what I mean? Because the perimeter is its own thing. You know what I mean? It's contained in its own physical space. I mean, like, it literally has 285 to to surround it, the circumference of the city. (laughs) You know what I mean? But once you go OTP outside the perimeter, you know what I mean? That's when you get, quote, unquote, real Georgia. You know what I mean? Like, so many of us... I mean, it's interesting because Atlanta, for for folks like me who grew up outside of the perimeter, is is like how folks think about New York. You know what I mean? Like when you want to get away from 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 home and you want to be successful, you go to Atlanta. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's closing up the home. If something goes down, you can be like, all right, I'm gonna just hop on 75 and come back. But it's big enough that folks are like, oh, you live in Atlanta, and folks don't judge you. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I'm in Atlanta, right? But 
it's important because this is something I kind of talk about in the book too, is, is that, you know, the South isn't a monolith. And what that means is, you know, how I came up in Georgia is different than somebody in Mississippi or Alabama, but even within the state, how I came up in Southwest Georgia, which is, I mean, Albany is a, is a you know, the Benny's a small city, so to speak, but it ain't nowhere near Atlanta size, but you know, it's, it's small, small town, rural Georgia. So like fields and, and, you know, shit closed on Sunday at like four o'clock, you know what I'm saying? Like everything closed on it for church, you know what mm-hmm, I'm saying? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it's different than Atlanta as this urban hub, you know what I'm saying? So it's important to kind of recognize that because it translates one way in the A doesn't mean it's going to translate the same way in the Benny or in Waycross or in Savannah. So I mean, like, it's just, it's just important to let folks like have their own flavor and do their own thing. But unfortunately, because Atlanta is so internationally known and fo- folks, that's what folks gravitate towards. You know what I mean? Like you don't hear nobody being like, yeah, I'm going on vacation to Osceola. <laughs> no offense to people from Osceola. Right, right, right. Or Tai Tai. Okay. You know what I mean? I'm just saying, like, it's, that's not that's not like at the top of the list. It's, you know, I'm going on vacation to Atlanta. You know what I'm saying? So it's just important to kind of recognize, you know, everybody has their own flavor, even within the state. So all that to say, yeah, the Benny is definitely different than A. We the little A. <laughs> yes. Yes. We the, the little A. A. I'm going to the little A. Mm-hmm. We love to see that. Okay. I First of all, it touches me that you have written this book and y'all that are listening that are just about to go to your bookseller and buy five copies of this book. This book is so important. Buy indie, five, okay, please. <laughs> and buy indie while you at it. I'm telling you your mm-hmm. favorite bookseller, but your favorite bookseller should be indie. So work on that, do that and buy five copies at a time. <laughs> but what I love about this book is it, it's a read for people who are hip-hop connoisseurs, who enjoy Mm -hmm. hip-hop culture and music, but that it's also something that can be used as a textbook, right? That there could be people studying this in a classroom. So I want to talk about the first time that you can remember hearing Outkast's music. And I'll tell you what my first time was. I know that I was in high school and there was Mm -hmm. like a little, kind of like a concrete, bench of some kind that was in sort of the courtyard of our school where everybody hung out. And I had a friend, Mm -hmm. Chris, who also, you know, rapped on the side, as many of us did at this era of time. And I remember (laughs) him freaking out about having heard this verse that opens with, it's the M.I. crooked letter, right? And as Mm -hmm. he was saying the words to us, he sang the words to us. I hadn't even heard the song myself, actually, first. He said the words to us because we were all like studying hip hop a lot, trying to rap. You know, this was before I realized that I really rapping wasn't going to be for me and I needed to become a poet, but I was still, you know, trying at this time. And so because he mentioned it to us, then, you know, we all had to go home and try to see how we could find this music and listen to it. And hearing there, I mean, still, it still touches me when I hear their music today, hearing how distinctly Mm -hmm. Southern their voices were on that music. So what was your first time, your first memory of hearing this music from OutKast? The Martin episode of Players Ball. Mm. Mm -hmm. That was my very first memory of hearing OutKast. And it was right at the end. So I was like, oh, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, like, I'm still... Well, I still feel like I'm still kind of young, but it was like right before bedtime, so to speak. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was like, yo, okay, you get this last little minute of Martin in and it's time for you to go to bed. Um, <laughs> but 
my first for like my first for real for real time like what you're talking about is definitely um on goody Miles black ice mm-hmm. you know because i mean like i talk about that in the book too but it was just like you know friends romans countrymen emmy your there drums it was a beautiful day off in the neighborhood i was like what neighborhood are we going to what, why is it so beautiful you know what i'm saying what what <laughs> okay okay tell me everything but i just I remember just like i remember like classmates and friends you know what i'm saying just randomly throwing out outcast lyrics going going down the hall flash you know what i'm saying it was like for me coming from northern virginia where outcast was only a word in the dictionary at the time like i don't remember listening to outcast like that when i was in the in northern virginia i was in alexandria fort belvoir because military brat you know what right I'm yeah same um, for me yeah, you know, so when I come south, I'm in my mind, I'm thinking everybody listens to the same kind of hip hop. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, all right, so if I'm listening to, you know, Bad Boy and Busta Rhymes and Wu Tang and all of the folks who are on the radio in the DMV, well, of course, that's what they're listening to in small ass, rural ass Southwest Georgia. And then I get down there trying to, you know, connect. <laughs> My classmates is like shouty. <laughs> no, nah, we don't. We don't. Mm-mm. That well, that ain't who we listening to. No, for real. <laughs> like they ain't, they ain't, you ain't. Like I remember this one dude. He was asking like what I had on my little mixtapes because you know that was a currency. You know what I mean? Like oh, yeah. you could like pass or pass and, and share mixtapes. And 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 dude was like shouty. What this is? <laughs> what who who this? Like. You ain't listening to nobody out of Atlanta. You ain't listening to no. I mean, like he was just naming off all of these Southern folks: UGK, Eight uh, Ball and MJG, Three Six Mafia. You know what I'm saying? And I'm just kind of like, I'm the new kid, so that gave me some kind of at least some kind of advantage. But then when they were like, "She don't even listen to our music," that just put me in a whole different hole, so to speak. So I had to dig myself up out the hole. So of course, I'm listening to. Well, at the time, it was Hot 106.1. It ain't there no more. And also 96.3, which is still there. And I'm like taking notes and making new mixtapes because I'm like, if I die now, there's no coming back from this social death when I start high school. (laughs) Enjoying Southern rap became a life or death situation for a freshman and incoming freshman to high school. You know what I'm saying? Who, Who can't write about nothing. So, yeah. And I just remember like how my mixtapes changed over time. It was like, okay. So I remember on the one I brought from DC, it was like, I think I had Wyclef John on there. There was Bad Boy on there. And then it like abruptly cuts off to tear the club up. by Mafia <laughs> And like Master P. And you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, yeah, you can kind of tell this is when your girl transitioned. <laughs> right, right. I mean, one of the things that, I really love about just this era of hip hop, you know, especially those first couple of albums of Outkast, is that hip hop had so much of a regional element then, you know, like I remember being in yeah. Texas and I grew up in San Antonio, Texas, which was kind of like, I mean, I, because my parents were in the military too. So that's what moved us mm-hmm. to San Antonio. But being in a city like that, where a lot of people were kind of in and out as a very transient place, it was sort of like, we didn't really know our hip hop identity all the way (laughs) because we Mm -hmm. didn't have any MCs from there then but we did have DJ Screw 
uh, from that area around like sort of Southern Texas time. And so I, I remember living there and there being a very specific Texas sort of hip hop sound. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then when I moved to Atlanta for college, I moved here for college in 98. So that was the year that Equimini came out. And if you Ooh. were driving by anybody's dorm rooms, apartments, you know, everybody's windows open playing that record. And I think that was really mm-hmm. the first time that I got to experience what a cultural shift a group like Outkast was bringing. I mean, still, Rosa Parks as a song is still a very life-changing situation with me. Just the middle of mm. that song with this fiddle... Like the hold down. Hold down. <laughs> just, just the the nerve to put that in the middle of a hip hop song. I was like, whatever this mm-hmm. is, I I really need this, you know? So I, I love to hear about that because I think for us trying to be rappers, <laughs> those of us who tried in the late 90s, we were emulating New York because right. that's, you know, at the time where it was like, that's the sound you need to have or keep. Then to start hearing what, the South was doing with hip hop gave you all this other stuff you could be doing with how mm-hmm. you rap, with how you produce all of that. So, okay. The other thing I want to ask you about is were people talking about Kilo Ali when you were growing Can Can you discuss Kilo Ali with me? Because when I moved here to Atlanta, Georgia, and I would ask people, as you did back then, you, your, one of your first questions, you brought this up. One of your first questions to people is like, well, what's, what what rap you listening to? Like, who's your favorite rapper? Mm-hmm. People that are born and raised Atlanta were like, Kilo Ali. And I was <laughs> like, who is that? <laughs> I didn't know anything about <laughs> Kilo at all. And people who are born and raised here, not people who moved here to get a job. People who were born and raised here, they were children here. They were like, it's Kilo Ali for me. Can you discuss the importance of Kilo in the Southern hip hop conversation? Oh, yeah. I mean, Kilo Ali was one of the earliest introductions to a hip hop sound originating in Atlanta. That's I mean, that's the best way to put it. You know what I'm saying? So when he comes out with, you know, cocaine in like (laughs) 1990, (laughs) okay, Okay. (laughs) you know what I mean? Before we had trap music, we had Kilo Ali. You know what I'm saying? Um, and then there's also, you know, well, my, my first introduction to Kilo Ali was Baby Baby. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. I need your L-O-V-E, you know, Baby Baby. Yes. I was like, oh, okay. Then I heard, you know, Boom in my car. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Show me love. All of these, you know what I'm saying? Like, all of these things. So, I mean, like, he is an architect for Atlanta sound. You know what I mean? Um, you can't talk about Atlanta Obviously, you can't talk about Atlanta without organized noise, right? But you also can't talk about Atlanta without, like, Kilo Ali, Raheem the Dream. You know what I'm saying? Like, these these folks who are taking what they saw going on in Atlanta, how they grew up in these communities in Atlanta, and putting that on wax in, in, in ways that folks weren't really checking for. You know what I'm saying? So, I get it. You know what I mean? If you're really from the A, you, you're like... Kilo's gonna be at the top of your is gonna be at least <laughs> at minimum in your top three. <laughs> at minimum. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, I get it. I get it. I, I had to go. That that was my moment of moving here to Georgia and having to get educated when the people were like, 
is Kilo Ali. And I think at the moment, Regina, I didn't even want to be like, I don't know who that is. I was just like, oh, yeah, word. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. has to go home and figure out right, what like, in yeah, the world. You don't want to be called out. You're like, <laughs> but then you like you get back to the room where you'd be like, okay, hold up, let me. What are they talking about? Let, let me go you know, listen. Well, no streaming back then. Okay. So you had literally just sit down at the radio and be like, okay, I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> let me wait till they drop this kilo song so I can know what they're talking knew about. They were drop it though. You knew they were going to drop it around like nine o'clock because like in Albany they had the dirty south hour like the the booty shake hour you okay, know what i mean okay. so that was like from like nine to ten so kilo ali gonna show up at least one time in the mix you know what i mean and if that's your one thing you better use the hell out of it and be like yeah i know what you're talking you better know it verbatim <laughs> okay you gotta be ready next time you can't just be out here be ready to go mm-hmm. can't be out here not knowing yeah. okay you brought up what is a very important question among hip-hop heads we normally trade mm-hmm. what what is what would we say are our top five MCs? I want to narrow that question and ask you, what do you feel are five Southern hip hop quintessential songs? Like if you could think of five Southern hip hop songs that you feel like these are essential to the canon. If you're entering the conversation, you need to at least know these. What would you say oh, are those man. top five songs? It's hard. It's hard to name. Don't do me like this. <laughs> I hate this question. <laughs> I you just, can't stand this question. You just give me several. I feel several. like it changes every time somebody asks me this question. Okay, <laughs> today, 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 I feel like mm-hmm. UGK "Pocket Full of Stones" mm-hmm. is important. Three Mafia "Tear the Club Up" is important. Mm-hmm. "Elevators" by Outkast is important. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Trying to make sure I hit all the areas, so to speak. Back that ass up. Okay. It's canonical. (laughs) It's not a lie. It's not a lie. I guess because I'm from Georgia and Atlanta has such an influence on me, I'm going back to Atlanta with this one. But I feel like Cool Breeze, Watch for the Hook Mm -hmm. is so important. Mm -hmm. Would also put 3-6 Mafia's late night tip in that conversation because Gangsta Boo goes all the way off. Mm-hmm. But those are the ones that immediately come to mind today. Today. Okay, that's right. No, that's, that's <laughs> So if, you're, if your audience is like, Dr. Bradley, you disappoint me. I'm like, listen, this changes every time somebody asks me this question. But today, that's who I'm going with. That's okay. who I'm going with today. <laughs> I respect these choices right here because I feel like you gave us a good amount of breadth. You know, you gave us some places to go. And I mean, you know, when you brought up Gangsta Boo, I was like, okay, when we're done with this interview, I'm going to have to go revisit that. For real, listen to her. She she laid the game quite flat on late night too. I'm mm-hmm. just kind of like, oh, wow, right? But I mean, like, regardless of what day, back that ass up, so it's going to be in my top five, so. Okay. Okay. It, cha- it changed my life. It changed my life because I was at the little homecoming dance, you know what I'm saying? And, um, you know, we're still wilding about high, okay? <laughs> But then, you know, folks is dancing and then all of a sudden DJ just kind of drops out the little music. You know what I mean? He's doing his little talking thing. Boom, boom, boom. And then all of a sudden you hear the beginning of Back That Ass Up and folks are just looking at each other like, what? What? And we were like, play that back. One more time. Okay. And I couldn't really do that because it was high school, right? But when they played it in college, 
I have my cup. I have my little solo cup. You know what I'm saying? I, I have my little secret drink in there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you know, you be making your final rounds. You be like, all right, then I'm see y'all. Woo, woo. And then you hear it come on. And you're like, you know what? I got one more in me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I got one more dance in me. I got I got one more, one more dance in me. You know what I'm saying? So it's gonna forever, you know. And I'm 37 now, and I ain't got no Megan Thee Stallion needs. You know what I'm saying? It's not. Mm-mm. But I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a Megan Thee Stallion effort whenever I hear. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I respect. But this is what we need: a Megan Thee Stallion effort. Okay, a try. Effort. I'm gonna give you the mm-hmm. effort. I'm mm-hmm. gonna give you the effort. Now, my husband might have to pick me up, which he has had to do in the past, you know, Mr. Bradley. <laughs> but you know, I'm gonna pretend like it's back in '98, '99, and I'm gonna pretend like we're taking over for the 2000s. Like I still got 16, 17, 20 year old knees. You know what I mean? I'm gonna give you the effort. That's the one song you will always get the effort out of, Regina. <laughs> Let's back that ass up. I feel Just inspired saying. by this. This is what I this is what I aspire to is the Megan Thee Stallion effort. That's all I have. Mm-hmm. I also That's I want to echo your sentiments about back that ass up because the last time I went to my college reunion, I graduated from Spelman. So we were doing the Spelman mm-hmm. Morehouse tailgate, which is wild. House. It's mm-hmm. a wild mm-hmm. time. OK, so the last time I went out there, they had a DJ on the Spelman side and there's always like a few older alumni who are there that are like 20, mm-hmm. some of them 30 years older than us. So when the DJ on their side drops like brick house, all decorum mm. is over. That window. It's done. Yeah. They're yeah. Just, there's just hips and booty all over the place. And my girlfriend <laughs> looked at me when we were at homecoming the last time before the pandemic, she turned to me and she said, you know that in several years, this is us mm-hmm. to back that ass mm-hmm. up. That's exactly what she said. You know what another said. song is too? Because I feel that. I feel that. And this Pangea is messing us all okay. up because I miss homecoming. Like, there's no homecoming like HBCU homecoming. I don't, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, I took my daughter to Virginia State homecoming in 2019, right? And... She was looking at me crazy because I didn't go to Virginia State. My cousin went to Virginia State. So it was like, you know, I ain't really know nobody. But because I knew my cousin, of course, I, and then I'm also Greek, you know what I'm saying? So it was like, I got the float. And my daughter was like, Mom, do you know these people? I'm like, no. And that's the point. <laughs> okay. and that's the point okay. is that we can turn up. We can turn up. So I agree with you. I'm going to be 50, 60 years old and, and somebody going to be like, what you know about this? And then it's going to be these younger folks going to come up in there and we're going to push the younger folks out the way and be like, move. This is not for you. Mm-mm. But also add Nuck If You Buck to that conversation. <gasps> I speak a word today about Nuck If You Buck. It's, it's real. I'll be like, I see like younger, like I see like, because uh, I'm I'm an AKA, right? So I see like the younger stores kind of like run out there. I see like the younger alphas run out there. And then... Like in, in my in the, our age group, I'm like, move, move out the way now, move, move. That ain't for you. This Mm-mm. is that you, y- y'all in this whistle, the alphas. I'll be ready to fight. <laughs> I'll be like, where did the whistle come from? There's no whistle. Mm-mm. But anyway, but yeah, back that ass up and nugget you buck. That's gonna that's gonna be our brick house about you know at homecoming 2030. I'm so glad that you brought up luck if you buck. <laughs> it's like I now that I'm talking to you about this, Regina, I feel like I feel like I feel like I need like a strong southern canonical playlist 
of hip hop. And and Nuck If You Buck has to be in there. I mean, there's just so many elements about that mm-hmm. song. It's aggression in the best mm-hmm. way. The the mm-hmm. Nuck If You Buck why that just that little line right there, it brings so much joy to me. But it also erases any kind of, you know, like you were saying about the prestige. Like, I have a PhD. I'm a college professor. But when I hear that, come on, I go way back to being in college, not giving a damn. Okay. I'm just like, all right. You know, you know what I mean? For like, and it's the same thing with like that. I don't, I don't, it doesn't compute. Like, it doesn't compute. Oh, you're supposed to be Dr. Bradley when this is on. No, no, no. no. I'm not Dr. Bradley mm-hmm. when this is on. I'm Gina May when this is on. Okay. And they don't necessarily see eye to eye <laughs> all the time. So I'm just going to put that out there. Mm-hmm. You're probably careful with your personal information, but what about the other places that have it? Like the doctor's office that mixed up your files. They have your social security number. The power company that mistakenly cut your service has your payment info and last three addresses. And the hotel that lost your reservation has your passport info. Your information is in endless places out of your control. Any one of them could accidentally expose you to hackers and identity theft through lax security, breaches, or simple mistakes. But LifeLock monitors millions of data points every second and alerts you to a wide range of threats. If your identity is stolen, a U.S.-based restoration specialist will fix it, guaranteed, or your money back. With plans covering up to $3 million for stolen funds and expenses. Mistakes happen. Don't let not having protection be one of them. Save up to 40% your first year at lifelock.com slash iHeart. That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 40%. Terms apply. Have you made the switch to NYX? Millions of women have made the switch to the revolutionary period underwear from NYX. That's K-N-I-X. Period panties from NYX are like no other, making them the number one leak-proof underwear brand in North America. They're comfy, stylish, and absorbent, perfect for period protection from your lightest to your heaviest days. They look, feel, and machine wash just like regular underwear, but feature incognito protection that has you covered. You can shop sizes from extra small to 4XL. Choose from all kinds of colors, prints, and different styles, from bikinis to boy shorts, thongs to high-rise. You've got to try NYX. See why millions are ditching disposable, wasteful period products and have switched to NYX. Go to knix.com and get 15% off with promo code TRY15. That's nix.com promo code TRY15 for 15% off life-changing period underwear. That's knix.com. Today, more than ever, we're all looking for ways to save, especially on medical bills. But where do you start? Unless you're a medical bill expert, finding savings can seem impossible. And who has the time? HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your family's insurance and reviews your medical claims as they come in from your healthcare providers. Then HealthLock's technology flags and alerts you to any errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and frauds to help you and your family save. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from selected past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save more than $130 million. Saving on medical bills starts with knowing where to look. 
And HealthLock makes it easy to find and fix hidden medical bill errors. To save, visit HealthLock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. That's HealthLock.com. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. also have to submit that for me, having grown up between Texas and then as an adult moving to Georgia, that booty mm-hmm. music is also like Southern booty music is a thing that I, I honestly feel like if I were in like the Vatican and for some <laughs> reason scrub the ground were to play yes. for some reason in that space. I'm out. I have to, I have to just really, I have to, first of all, bend down enough to get my hands on my knees. That's like the first thing I have to do. And I feel like I don't care if I'm wearing a blazer and I was at some Mm -hmm. work function. It's your fault. You dropped scrub the ground. That's not on me. That's the choice you made. And I have to do what has to be done when scrub the ground gets dropped. That's it. I, I feel the same way about Scrub the Ground. I really, I really do. That is all. I don't even know, you know, treat the Vatican like the pool palace. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> listen, I'll be like, I'm listen, listen, I'll have okay. to be like, Pope, I'm sorry, sir. I'm sorry, but somebody decided. <laughs> and now, now <laughs> this is a ritual like, I have man, to do. You know, again, Megan the Stallion effort. Okay. Because I can't, I can't get down there mm-hmm. like I used to. However, I, we're going to try it. We I'm going to try, try it. I'm a, mm-hmm. I can at least get as far as my hands being on my knees. And shout out to Cornbread and Biscuits because I got some extra booty more than I had 20 years ago. So I, I bring that into this moment. You know, that's mm-hmm. about where mm-hmm. I got to really stay in that zone. <laughs> I can't I can't, mm-hmm. I can't mm-hmm. literally scrub the ground. I had to just accept that's the case. Like you're going to try. Right. You're just going to graze the ground maybe or hover. Mm-hmm. Hover the ground, but you're going to try the effort, (laughs) the effort. Okay. I love it. Okay. Let's talk about chronicling stank on you. There's, there's like a couple of things that I want to talk to you about right here. One of the things I want to ask you about is your experience going into academia and Mm -hmm. really focusing here on not just black culture, but Southern Black culture. Mm -hmm. What has that journey been like? Because I feel like there's been some conversation among my friends who are in academia about the amount of people who are teaching Black studies that are not Black Mm. and who are not really living in this culture, acquainted with it. What was your journey Mm. like in going into academia and deciding, I want to represent my people represent the people I'm from, represent our language, represent our music. What was that like? Um, so just, you know, non-black folks doing black studies and stuff like that. I don't have a problem with it as long as you remember that you're a guest in this space. Mm-hmm. Like that's when I that's when we get ready to throw hands, is that you have some folks out here who feel like, well, I can, you know, get, you know, like some folks be like, oh, I can lyrically do this, this, and this, or I can, I can give you all the facts about this particular thing. And I'm like, but you forget that you are a guest 
in this space. You know what I'm saying? Um, but I mean, it's interesting, man, because when, when I, I actually, I mean, I tell folks like I've been writing Chronicling Stankonia since I touched down in Albany back in 1998. I wow. feel like, you know what I mean? Cause I've been part of the, part of the culture. The culture has been part of me. Um, but it wasn't until graduate school, I went to Indiana university for graduate school for my master's. And then I went to Florida state for my PhD, but going to the Midwest was a wake up call for me and realizing like how Southern I had truly (laughs) become, you know what I'm saying? So I was taking a grad seminar with Dr. Portia Maltzby, who is the OG, like, you know, if you, you don't talk about black popular music, unless you reference Dr. Maltzby, right. Um, and we got to the section on hip hop. And, you know, it was great reading and folks knew what they were talking about, but I felt isolated from the conversation because who they were talking about, I wasn't really listening to like that. You know what I'm saying? Um, And I asked her about it and she was like, well, what are you going to do about it? And I'm like, "Mm -hmm." Hmm. (laughs) at the time. So then, you know, I'll keep going through the studies and I go to go into the English program. And of course, when you think hip hop studies, you don't necessarily think English. But I want to shout out my dissertation advisor, Dr. David Eichert, because I was trying to go in one direction. I think I like said I wanted to do my dissertation on like uh, black women in the church and faith in the South. And he was like, yeah, OK. Right. But then I took his seminar class, you know, because you got to take multiple types of seminars and I wanted to be African-Americanist. So I took his African-American literature seminar and my final paper in the class was on T.I. Wow. Um, which actually part of that paper is in the chapter in the book on T.I. So like I said, I've been writing this thing and I remember I'll never forget it. Like he we, we had class that went and then he called me into his office and he was like, yo, you need to be writing about hip hop. Hmm. And I'm like, I didn't know that that was a thing. And he was like, well, we gonna make if, if we had to make it a thing. So my dissertation was about just hip hop in general, but it wasn't until I couldn't find a job. I was adjuncting. I was desperate. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to write about what I love, which is the South and Southern rap. Um, and then that's when the door started opening, so to speak. You know what I'm saying? Um, when I went to Harvard on fellowship, it was to work on this book because I was like, I'm writing about Outcast. When I got my job, I used, you know, a draft of a chapter from this book. You know what I'm saying? So it was like Southern hip hop opened the doors for me when me trying to check off the bullet points of being a quote unquote traditional academic, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, we're closing doors and slamming doors in my face. So, you know, when folks ask me about my connections to Outkast, I mean, like, I love them because they're brilliant, like they're genius, you know what I mean? But the other part of it too is, I feel like me and my work physically and culturally and spiritually embody that idea of being outcasted, right? Like, mm. you know, I never fit into the academy the way folks have. I never, you know, as a Black woman professor, for a lot of my students, I'm the first Black woman professor they've had. Some students have told me I'm their first Black teacher, period. You know what I mean? Wow. So it's like I'm consistently in this place of being outcasted. But if I'm going to be outcasted, I'm going to utilize it to my advantage. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So just being able to to speak through that and then coming out with Chronicling Stankonia, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, I'm still kind of in shock that it's out. <laughs> like it's, I worked on, I felt like I've been working on it for so long. Like I got contracted for the book in 2015 and it's coming out six years later. You know what I mean? Um, and I was trying to find all the ways to talk myself out of being crunk about it. I was like, okay, well maybe it's too short or maybe it's too academic or maybe I didn't do this or, you know what I mean? Like all of these things. But then I'm just kind of like, well, 
I mean, shit's out there now. It's kind of like, what is this out there now? And I've just been very, very, very fortunate to have, you know, you have the folks who want to talk out the side of their neck, the thumb thugs, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But for the most part, um, hearing folks be like, you know what? This is the first time I've actually seen myself in a study about hip hop because I'm Southern makes me feel like it was worth it. Makes me feel like what I, what I did in the book was accessible enough that it's academic. Yeah. But also it touches those folks who, you know, the folks like I, the folks who are like who I grew up with, you know yep. what I'm saying? So yeah. All that to say, hopefully that's the question. It's like, it's, it was needed. I was sick of hearing about New York, New York and everybody. And, and then those folks trying to use New York to validate what's going on in the South. And I'm like, y'all don't even, Hey, that's lazy. You know what I mean? And I didn't want a lazy analysis of the South in hip hop. So hopefully Chronicle Stankonia isn't a lazy analysis. You know what I'm saying? Was not, was not a lazy analysis to me. Why? I, I want to, I want to ask you about why is it important in particular for Southern hip hop to be studied from an academic lens? And I'm curious about that because I, I did an interview uh, on a podcast a couple of years ago and the host asked me, do I consider myself a Southern poet? And no one had ever asked me that. Mm. But then when I sort of look back through my work, I mean, when you grow up in the South, when your family roots are here, even when you're mm. not intending to write from that lens, you just do. There were just certain things that were showing up in the work, you know, about the soil and the dirt and some of the food and the trees and some of those things, even like in a random love poem somewhere, there's that tree that you remember from your grandmother's yard or whatever that is. And there are all those different elements that make up what it means to be from the South. And then in particular, the other layer of what it means to be Black and Southern. Like, I love that mm -hmm. that's a part mm -hmm. of your bio, you, that you are a daughter of the Black American South, which I think is important. Why do you think it's important for Southern hip hop to be studied from an academic lens? Well, because they try to make it seem like hip hop is universal and in a way it is, but how hip hop is applied to the culture is not universal. Mm. And that's what I want to make sure that you know, the book comes across saying is that hip hop is great. Like I'm not taking away anything that has happened with hip hop in New York. I know that New York is the Mecca for hip hop. I get that. But just because it happens in New York doesn't mean it's going to take root and blossom in the same way in Georgia soil, in Alabama soil, in Mississippi soil, the way that it does in the, in the boroughs. You know what I'm saying? Um, but then I also just was, like I said earlier, I was just tired of, of hip hop studies being centered in this bi-coastal idea that hip hop will only exists on coasts. And I'm like, what about everywhere else? And in the same vein, I'm like, the way that I write about the South, I'm hoping, and that's where the end of the book comes in. I'm like, I'm hoping this is, opens up the door, like come to the table and eat. You know what I'm saying? Like, I can't talk about, you know, Mississippi or Texas, the way that somebody who's from there can't, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's, it's important. Um, and then also these other different regional manifestations of hip hop culture. You know what I'm saying? I want to know about the Midwest. Like, how is it in, you know, Ohio or Detroit? And what's that look like? And how does that pop off? You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I want to read from those perspectives and then put all of that in conversation. You know what I mean? But unfortunately, right now, it's like, you know, this is the thing with the Academy is the Academy is so slow. It's always playing catch up. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, you know, outside of the academy, 30 years seems like a long time because, you know, we're knocking on the, on, on the 30th anniversary of Trisha Rose's Black Noise, right? 
But I mean, in the academy, that's still hella young. It's almost infantile. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, okay. If you think about the long history, what the academy means and scholastic inquiry, and then you have hip hop, hip hop's still extremely young in the academy. But to do Southern hip hop, that means we still like <laughs> in the womb, so to speak. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? So I'm hoping that this book will open up doors and open up more conversation to critically engage the South and also to recognize the stigmas and the biases that are associated just with the region itself. It's not necessarily just with the culture, but it's with the region itself. Like the South makes people uncomfortable, especially folks who aren't rooted or invested in the South. It's the scapegoat. It's the boogeyman. You know what I'm saying? And because there's that, that anxiety about it, then there's an assumption that the culture reflects those those stigmas and those anxieties. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then I'm like, well, that might be part of it, but that's not the totality of it. So, I mean, of course, you're going to have racial violence and racial trauma in the South, but that's not the totality of what it means to be Southern and Black, is to be victimized and trying to find a way to escape. Like, that's what was missing in conversations scholastically, yeah. is that folks would rather, you know, pick up a, a Richard Wright or an Alice Walker and focus on the trauma. And I'm like, what about the joy? Like, yes. the joy is what gets you through the trauma. Come on, You know Regina. what I'm saying? What yeah. about the joy? What about the music? What about the culture? What about the the idea that Black folks in the South, like community is so important. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, when people ask you who your people is, that itself is an act of, (laughs) well, one, if you come from a big family, they want to make sure that you ain't dating nobody in the family, but also like it is giving folks an idea about where you're from. You know what I mean? Like it used to get on my nerves when I was younger if I was dating a dude and I brought him home to my grandparents and my granddad would come, you know, my granddad was a man of very few words, you know what I mean? And he would like literally be like, Hey, how you doing? He would, you know, judge you on your handshake or not. You know what I'm saying? And then the next immediate question is, well, who your people is. Okay. Cause it, cause I mean, my grandparents were educators, right? So they probably knew your people, especially if you was from Albany, you know what I mean? Um, but it was also like, oh, let me see where I can put you at so that I can see, you know, if you're, if you're worthy enough to date my, my granddaughter, but also like, if you worth a grain of salt, period, <laughs> Right. <laughs> you know what right. I'm saying? So I mean, like all of that, all of those nuances, all of those sensibilities are often overlooked or not even recognized in a larger conversation about hip hop culture in general. And I wanted to use those to frame why Southern hip hop stands apart um, and why it's needed, why we need to study it. And also why I'm not the only one who needs to study it. Like there's this whole Highlander thing that's going on in the Academy. You know what I mean? And I'm like, I don't want to be the only one. That's a lot of work. That's a lot of pressure. You know what I mean? Because that means you need to know everything and that's damn near. It's impossible. You know what I'm saying? I want to be one of the ones you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So I'm hoping that Chronicle Stankonia opens the door. There are a shit ton of new, younger scholars who are still in graduate school, who are just getting started, who are brilliant, who are thinking about the South and Southernness and how it relates to hip hop and just music. And I'm like, use me as the stepping stone. Don't use me as the gatekeeper. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oof, that's yeah, so powerful. I don't want that. I don't want to be no gatekeeper. I don't, that's that's too much work. <laughs> you got to be bitter to be the gatekeeper. <laughs> I mean, where's the line? Like, well, you didn't do this. You, I, The only way I'll be like, you didn't do this You or if, if you legit just was lazy with it. Then I'll be like, 
Come on, folk. Like this is this. But I mean, if you out here like legitimately breaking new ground, I don't have nothing to say. I'd be like, oh, okay. But if you lazy, then okay, yeah, I might be a little bit of a gatekeeper. But you know, be I feel like I'm not a gatekeeper. I feel like I'm a bouncer at the club. Okay. I don't want to be the gatekeeper. Mm-hmm. I feel like I want to be the. Let me be the bouncer at the club. Let me like. Let me see how you get in. <laughs> Let me look at you and your you friends know, before you get in. in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who who your friend? Are they on the list? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what we need is a about? bouncer, honey. That's what we need is a culture bouncer, Regina. Yes. Bouncer. I don't need no gatekeeper. Just give me a bouncer. You know what I'm saying? Oh, <laughs> I live, please. Like, I I think this is, this is one of the reasons, and y'all listening, this is one of the reasons why I think that your work is so important because I think it's important for us to be able to look at I mean, I think there's lots of layers to this, right? Like when I was, especially when I got to that last section of your book, when you're sort of expounding upon this phrase that many of us in the South were just so exhilarated to hear um, that the South, the South still has something to say. And you like added that still into that phrase that many of us remember Mm -hmm. watching on that award show, right? was Andre 3000 saying the South got something to say. And I I just felt Mm -hmm. like, yeah, we do, you know, and getting to the end of your book and you saying, and that's still true. The South still has something to say. And like getting to the Mm -hmm. end of your book and reading that, it made me hope for two things, Regina. It made me hope that, yes, that we will see more books like yours, that we will see more of this kind of academic intellectual analysis of this music and this art. And as a hip hop culture fan, I want to see more MCs able to return to where they're from and let their voices Mm -hmm. sound like that and let the slang of whatever that area is sound like that. Like, I would love to see that uh, return to hip hop even more, too, because I think that was beautiful for those of us that were growing up in the 90s. That was beautiful for us to get to hear that Snoop doesn't sound the same as you know, A-Ball and MJG sound as Method Man sounds, as Crucial Conflict sounded. Like, everybody Mm -hmm. had sort of this different way they approached it because they felt like they had to take their city or their region on their back and carry it into their music. And just in reading your analysis and your storytelling here, I was like, man, I hope we see a return of that too, you know? Yeah, and I think think the additional challenge, which is something that I'm not equipped to write about this is why i said i'm trying to kick the door open for these folks coming up behind me is that we're in the era of the digital south now you know what i'm saying Mm. like it's not just physically restricted to what's going on regionally i mean like the region is accessible by everybody you know what i'm saying from the explosion of trap to an international hip-hop genre to you know folks from new york borrowing and and some folks straight up stealing (laughs) <laughs> from from the south you know what i'm saying um i think that all of that is important in how we renegotiate what regional identity means to the mm. culture but i will say that um the way that folks represented for where they were from like the hyper locality you know what i'm saying of of region in the 90s and the early 2000s isn't, isn't really necessary because we got social media you know mm. what i'm saying like it's not like we have to you know, wait to hear an album to to understand like the super local drops that people give in their music. Now it's kind of just like, all right, let me go to Google Earth. Let me go on TikTok. Let me see what that actually looks like. Whereas, I mean, like that act of imagining spaces 
the way that the imagination takes root is different Yeah, because of social media. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not the one to write about that because I didn't grow up in a social media era of, of Southern rap. You know right. what I mean? So that's somebody else's project. <laughs> it ain't my project. <laughs> I would tell you quick. I'd be like, look, I can't talk about these, some of these younger folks, man. Like my cutoff date is like 2008 when I started my PhD. <laughs> <laughs> When I started my PhD program, <laughs> I mean, listen, I'm mean, like, listen, I don't, don't be having out here having me looking a hot mess. You know what I'm saying? Ass out. Cause I'm gonna look at you like, nah, I can't, you know what I mean? So if folks are asking me about some of the newer folks, I'd be like, I listen to them in passing, but I'm not going to be able to give you an analysis. Like I could give you an analysis about outcast. You know what right. I mean? That's somebody else's, that's somebody else's career. That's somebody else's, you know, that their work. And I ain't trying to take that cause I can't do it. So <laughs> Know your limits, know your boundaries. Okay. okay. And that's how you open the door for others because you're like, this is my stuff that I'm going to do. You're going to come my along and this find is my your area. stuff to you know do. I mean? Okay. Mm-hmm. I get it. Mm-hmm. Regina, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast, thank for you, talking to us about all this Southern hip hop. I hope y'all were taking all the notes so that y'all can, number one, <laughs> buy a few copies of this book you know just five is a good number you could go to your favorite independent (laughs) bookseller buy five of them you got one then you got four that you could give to somebody it's like a gift okay work on that and then you can listen to this music so while you reading the book you can be educated but Regina thank you for this work (laughs) you are doing for for shining a light on the south and on hip-hop culture here for for even just hearing your voice and like the Southerness in your voice and in your writing, in your book, that gives a lot of joy to those of us who are from down here. So thank you so much. That means that I did my job. I really, you know, the South still got something to say. And I just hope that is that folks realize that we're talking to each other. You know what I'm saying? And that's, that's what's equally important. Like I, I didn't, that's one thing I was very, clear about is I mean I know I had to write somewhat academically but I didn't want it to be the totality of what I was saying and and it seems like I struck a good enough balance that we can have conversations like this you know what I mean um because these are the type of conversations that I want to have about the work you know what I mean so I, I so thank you for the opportunity to chop it up with you and 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 laugh and I mean like all of that is part of southern hip-hop too you know what I'm saying so just just thank you for the opportunity as well Thank you again so much to Dr. Regina Bradley for joining me and bringing intellectual conversation about Southern hip hop to the table. I'm just sorry that she and I could not have had biscuits, which probably would have been one of our Southern dishes of choice had we literally been in the her living room together. You can learn more about Dr. Bradley's work at her website, redclayscholar.com. You can also follow Regina on Twitter at Red Clay Scholar. And if you forget all this stuff that I just said, remember, you can go to aminabrown.com slash her with Amina. The show notes are there with links to some of this music, as well as links to check out more of Dr. Regina Bradley's work. And if you aren't following me on social media, on Twitter and Instagram at Amina B-E-E, you should go follow. Let's be friends. For this week's edition of Give Her a Crown and in honor of our conversation in this episode about Southern hip hop, I want to shout out one of my favorite rappers from the South, Grammy award winning hip hop artist Rhapsody. 
Born and raised in North Carolina, Rhapsody's rap career has been on the rise for many years right now. My favorite album of hers is her latest album, Eve. And my favorite song from the album is Whoopi, where she raps over a sample of one of my favorite jazz songs, Watermelon Man by Herbie Hancock. Each of the songs on Eve are named for a Black woman hero of Rhapsody's. You should definitely give this a listen. Rhapsody, thank you for bringing your Southerness, your storytelling, and for honoring hip-hop culture through your music. Rhapsody, give her a crown. Her with Amina Brown is produced by Matt Owen for Soul Graffiti Productions as a part of the Seneca Women Podcast Network in partnership with iHeartRadio. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Zen Nicotine Pouches deliver nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. Which means Zen pairs well with you, your personality, your schedule, and your spontaneity. Zen fits easily into your bag, pocket, and into your life because it's smoke-free, hands-free, and hassle-free. So the only person who will know you have a Zen pouch in is you. Visit Zen.com or head to your local convenience store today to find your Zen. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Family Talk with Straight Talk. You give and you give. It's time to get with Straight Talk Wireless. You get a reliable 5G network and unlimited data. And you get to choose who joins your family plan starting as low as $25 a line. Does it have to be family? It can be family or people you like. Get more lines and more savings. Switch to Straight Talk for family plans starting as low as $25 a line per month for four lines. Find us at Walmart and straighttalk.com. For network management practices, visit straighttalk.com. Family plan discount with four lines all on the silver and limited plan. Taxes and fees apply. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.